Listening to State of the Arts, a show about the arts, theater, and creatives in and around the Philippines. Located in the upcoming Circuit Performing Arts Theater in Circuit Makati, Makati's culture and entertainment district where something amazing is always on. On each episode, we invite industry leaders, arts practitioners, and audience members to talk about current events that shape and further the arts in the country. My name is Christopher. Together, let's talk art. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of State of the Arts. I hope you're well and staying safe. With me today is a film director, a producer, and a screenwriter. Celebrated for his works and has received numerous awards while based in Australia, he's back in the Philippines sharing his passion and gift for visual storytelling to the country. Since his return, he has been an in-demand director whose works represented some of the country's biggest companies like Procter & Gamble, Unilab, Nestle, McDonald's to name a few. Most recently, he helmed one of the most talked about films that was shown during the 2019 Metro Manila Film Festival and is currently one of the most watched Filipino films on the international streaming platform Netflix. An artist known for his distinctive cinematic style and flair for rich visuals and engaging storytelling, making him one of the most sought after directors we have today. Please join me in welcoming the very talented Carlo Ledesma. Welcome to the show, Carla. Hi, Christopher. Thank you so much for, for having me. And, and thank you very much for that, that kind intro. Um, wow, I've never been hyped up as, as well. As <laughs> well, happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Oh, and, and, um, like I said, it's, it's an absolute uh, pleasure to, I guess, virtually meet you uh, and, and be a part of uh, your, your podcast. Oh, likewise. The feeling is mutual. Thanks so much again for joining me for this episode. I know things are tight and busy, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Not a problem. Um, I'm excited for our listeners to learn about you and your work. Why don't we start by briefly letting them know how you got into the profession you're currently in? Okay. Um, so I was, uh, well, if, if we were to run it back, and I guess um, I, I get asked this a lot, like what's my, my filmic journey or filmic story? Mm-hmm. Um, it all started where I grew up, which is in Bacolod, um, which is down south. Um, I I grew up uh, being blessed enough to to have um, parents and a father, especially who enjoyed photography and um, and video making a lot. Like my dad was and is to this day still very much into gadgets. So. So when he got into photography, um, I kind of like me as a little boy would kind of just observe all all the cool stuff he would shoot, and and I kind of took a, a shine to to the stuff he would shoot, and it, it got to to such a point where in you know eventually he would like um, give me his his like beat up cameras, and I would kind of tinker with them and, and start shooting my own stuff, um, and that was that. That, that that was kind of like my first exposure. Mm-hmm. To, into the art of like visual storytelling, I realized that I actually loved making pictures uh, at the time. Um, I don't want to carbon date myself, but um, sure, <laughs> I, I was uh, I was born uh, at a time when uh, film was still the medium of, of choice, both for for films and for photography. 
So when my dad put up a, a, a dark room, uh, a dark room for you kids who don't know, uh, is, um, mm-hmm. is a place where you, you take the film that you shoot with your camera and, and you develop it and you make um, print photos out of them. So my dad was, was such an enthusiast that he, he, he built one in, in, like a, in a small uh, room in our house. And he would bring me along, you know, and, and I, I saw the magic of how he would, you know, the process of how pictures would develop and, and seeing the photo go into into the chemicals and seeing the, the photos. Right. That was magic for me. That was like, oh, my God, that, like that, that is so cool. So mm-hmm. I realized then that, you know, I wanted to do more of that. And, and, and eventually I did. Like when I got into college, um, one of my favorite courses was photography. I also um, put up my own um, little dark room in my in my house in my bathroom actually mm-hmm. uh, so that was that but but aside from that um i also grew up watching movies a lot um also because my parents were such movie buffs um bacolod was such a well bacolod was such a good place uh, to get exposed to films because at the time we had so much access to betamax um and i, I, I okay. i'm sure you remember that format chris it's right uh, <laughs> right I had, Bacol, it's such a small city, so I had like titos and titas who had all their, let's let's say, quote unquote, not very legal Betamax rental stores. Who, um, sure. Uh, and I, I would just, you know, uh, go into those stores and, and just uh, rent Betamax tapes. So, so I, mm-hmm. it was through there that I was able to watch, you know, all, all these great 80s movies. I'm an 80s baby. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was such a good era uh, to be to discover and, and learn about movies. Um, and so that was that. And um, I was asked this question before, the, the seminal movie or like the, uh, the movie that kind of did it for me and, and switched me on not just to films per se, but to horror films was the movie Jaws by, by Steven mm. mm-hmm. Uh My dad... Uh, uh, Took me at the time. I was six years old, and you may you might probably be wondering why the hell is a parent what the, what kind of parent chose bringing kid, a six year old six year old kid a horror movie about a shark um, to defend my dad. He actually showed it to me because he uh, he was and is a staunch environmentalist, and he wanted to show me Jaws because he wanted to show um, that because of that movie. Sharks uh, were starting to get killed and and um, overfished mm. in the sea. Like uh, apparently, when when the book Jaws and the movie Jaws came out, it, it spurred this whole notion that all sharks need to be destroyed. So, um, and, and that was a pretty scary thing. Um, so, so my dad felt it was important for him to show me that you know, okay, this is a cool movie, but I just want you to know that um, that that is not the case. Sharks are not like this. You know, sharks are. Are actually very important to our environment. Um, they hardly mm-hmm. ever hurt people. So, so that was his his rationale for for showing me Jaws. And and I remember I watching it and and seeing it. And I was so fascinated by the fact that you hardly see the shark. You know, um, that was my first mm-hmm. um, experience into the less is more philosophy, which I think we'll talk about in a bit as well. Right. Um, I was just so terrified by the fact that, wait, wait, there's a shark. How, why are we not seeing it? Like, what is this thing in the water? Why am I seeing the girl's legs paddling? Why am I not? Why am I absolutely scared? And and right. little did I know that that was kind of, you know, Spielberg's technique of, of, of embedding fear 
uh, in tuning. And I didn't know it at the time, but it, it's only when I realized many years later, that, oh, wow, that was, it was a, a less smart technique that, that terrified me. And it absolutely worked. Um, right. and, and then, you know, Jaws, and then it get to the third part. And, and when we see uh, Quint get killed by the shark and blood comes out of his mouth, that was such, I still remember that moment. That was such a, a visual jarring moment for me because that was the first time I had seen blood uh, in a movie. And that kind of shocked me as well. And it made me realize, oh, okay, so in movies, people die. <laughs> so uh. that was... So Jaws did two things. It kind of opened up my eyes to horror. It made me realize that that horror films were were such a cool genre. Um, uh-huh. I immediately wanted more, so I, I started watching all all the horror films of that era. You know, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Alien, especially The Thing. Um, films like that were the were the movies that kind of. I didn't see them as horror movies. I, I saw them as, as mm-hmm. movies. You know, back then when you're a kid, you don't really think about genre. In fact, you don't even know what sure. the, you don't really even know what the meaning of the word genre is. You just try to watch, you know, as many movies as you can. So if, when I was growing up, I enjoyed, you know, those horror films as much as you know other family films or other action films. And and I'm so grateful that I had parents who were so cool enough to. To take me to allow you, to, yeah. yeah we, there, were, there was a small theater uh, in Bacolod before called Little Cinema, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember that being such a big part of my childhood because my mom would take me there. And funny enough, we talk about sharks. I remember the one visual I remember about that cinema is that it had a, it had a, an aqua- a giant aquarium, and it had like small sharks swimming inside. Uh, so maybe maybe sharks are in my my destiny. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I saw so many movies there, you know, and um, that that was like the the, the awakening for me, you know. Um, My mom took me to see Die Hard there when I was 10. So Mm. I guess you could say I had the coolest parents ever. (laughs) My mom loved loved Jackie Chan and and Bruce Lee movies. If my my dad liked um, films like Jaws, my mom absolutely was an action movie junkie. She loved all those Jackie Chan films. So, you know, I saw Drunken Master, um, all, all the Bruce Lee films, Enter the Dragon. And that was all through my mom. So so I'm very grateful that they were very open-minded at the time to, to not filter um, all those movie experiences from me. So... I see. Yeah, that's pretty much my journey. And I kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. Kind of segued what into... A, no, what, it's my, a fascinating story. I was just going to say, if I didn't know... You through the research that I've done, I'll be very surprised if you tell me after that story that you didn't end up as a filmmaker, because <laughs> <laughs> it, it it seemed like you were almost being primed to be one uh, from such an early age. Um, you had mentioned uh, about going to school. Did you go to school uh, here in the Philippines, and did you go to school for filmmaking? Uh, yes, I did. Well, I. Uh, I, I studied uh, in Bacolod uh, up until high school. Um, so that's another chapter of my filmmaking story as well because um, up until my third year of high school, I actually didn't really know what a di- film director was or what it entailed doing. But um, I, I, I was playing with, with my dad's video camera at the time and shooting all movies with my sisters and, and making the, my sisters were my first actors and, and they hated me for it. But, you know, I, I, I thought it was all just kind of like, you know, the, I guess the way kids play with their iPads now or, or shoot stuff sure. with, with TikTok, 
that, you know, my dad's video eight camera was my own version of that. So I, I never really knew that it could be something you would do for the rest of your life. But when I was in third year high school, um, my English uh, teacher at the time offered my class uh, two options to, for our finals. One was to do a paper on a topic I don't remember. And the other one was just to shoot uh, a film. So at the time, I immediately raised my hand because I had a camera and I hated writing papers. So I said, well, I, I would like to do a film. And when, when my class, when, when the majority of my classmates saw me raise my hand and, and noticed that I wanted to do a film, all of them kind of like said, we want to do a film with Carla because none of them wanted to do a paper. So right. It's, it seemed more fun. It seemed more fun. And you know what? It absolutely was. My first, I would say that was my first film called Steven. Uh, named after, mm. well, I named it after Steven Spielberg about um, um, a, a new kid in, in school who, who gets bullied by, you know, the class assholes and um, one night they accidentally kill him. Um, but little do they know that he's actually alive and as they bury him and as they, they leave his body in, in, in the forest, he actually comes back to life and he starts to kill them one by one. And, oh, wow. And it was absolutely fun. We, I didn't know what, I had no idea what I was doing. None of us knew what I was doing. Um, but you know what? We used um, tomato sauce for blood. Um, mm. we, we borrowed um, our classmates' car. We actually did a car chase. Um, we fired a real shotgun, which we borrowed from a security guard, and it was just. Mm-hmm. It, and 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 I think that's when it. That's when I knew. You know, third year high school. I was like, right. This this is it for me. Like this is my calling. Like um, this is absolutely the 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 thing I want to do for the rest of my life because I remember watching the film, which is terrible, <laughs> watching the film in in front of our class and you know, everybody um, burst into applause because I guess at the time they had never seen anything done like it. And we sure and and they realized, oh man, this is this is absolutely you know editing and 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 I, I did my own music with some cheap synthesizer. And, mm-hmm. and that's when I knew I wanted to take it seriously. So when I got to college uh, in Manila, uh, I studied uh, at De La Salle. I majored in uh, in communication arts, um, but okay. yeah. So so it was through there that I was able to to start start taking film studies a bit more a bit more seriously. I took up photography. I took up um, there's uh, script writing. We did some some film theory studies uh, mm-hmm. and all of that. And and throughout you know my whole college time, I, I was already kind of doing short films. I, I kind of saved up some money to buy my own camera. Um, and at the time it was a, a different format already. So I just, you know, I, I would just shoot my friends, shoot whatever I could get my hands on and and, and just kind of, so I kind of taught myself a, a lot of things and how to to do it as well. So college was great because, you know, being in La Salle uh, wasn't film proper, would you say quote unquote formal film school per se, but it was sure. the experience of being in college that I would right. to meet um, people who loved films as well. You know, I, I think moving to Manila made me, made me meet and encounter all these other people that, that were so passionate about movies as well. So it kind of opened up my mind to to that world. And, and because of that, I was able to learn a lot. I see. Got it. And, and when did you move to Australia? Was your move academic or work-related or totally something else? Um, I, I moved to Australia in 2004. And at the time, I was already working as uh, a producer slash director slash host for a TV show called Game Plan. 
Um, and and okay. that was another film school for me because I trained um, under Game Plan um, uh, was produced by uh, Pro Productions, uh, which which is run by Chacha Lazaro, uh, as you know. Um, and for me, that was like a very important chapter, like in my in my, in my film. I guess education because that was when I learned how to write, you know, a proper story, do a proper edit, um, shoot uh, with with more cameras as well. So I, I was doing that for a while. I was doing it for about seven years, and I remember mm-hmm. just being very, um, I, I guess, being very, uh, what's the word, naiinip ba, uh, or or just being restless because I felt like okay, okay. I'm having a, I, I'm having a great time. You know, traveling the Philippines and, and doing these stories for game plan, but I f- felt like I wanted to kind of see the world and and just try something else. So uh, I enrolled uh, at the University of Sydney, and and this time I said, okay, if I'm going to study overseas, it'll be a, an absolutely specific thing to what I want, which is film studies. So I, I see. Moved, so I moved to to Sydney in 2004, and that's where I kind of you know. Uh, I, I took my master's degree in uh, in film, and I see. So, so I I continued my studies there, and I lived there for, for eight years afterwards. Got it. And how was the experience pursuing your art in another country? Um, it was, uh, well, well eye opening, so to speak. Um, what I loved about it was, um, if if moving from Bacolod to Manila kind of, you know, opened my mind. Uh, to a certain extent, moving from the Philippines to another country, you know, kicked the door open even more, and mm. it just allowed me to, to just meet, uh, and, and just to expand my mind culturally. I, I think that was the most important thing. You know, I, I got to meet not just uh, Australians, but I got to meet, you know, Americans. I got to meet people from from Ireland, from Scotland, uh, you know, from from Korea. You know, my 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 class uh, in in Sydney Uni, we were just comprised of, of people from from different parts of the world and it, it was so cool being able to kind of meet them and, and you know uh hang out with them and, and talk about you know what films they love what films i loved so um there wasn't anything intimidating about it at all i absolutely loved it mm-hmm. um, again you know it, i think with film school it's not so much the I mean, yes, you do learn craft, you do learn theory, but what I love about my own film school experience is that I, I got to be, you know, in the proximity of people who um, share the same passion as me. So it was never, it, it never felt like going to, to school, you know, it didn't feel like school. It, it, it felt like, like hanging out. It felt like, you know, uh, waking up in the morning and, and, and going to uni felt like absolute fun and and that's i think when i, I think that's the advantage of, of taking a, a course that you really really love it doesn't right it doesn't feel tedious um you know what i mean it, it doesn't feel yeah no totally i get it i mean like you said as, as a dancer i'm sure you feel the same way when when you do something you love you know you wake up in the morning you're excited to go to training you're excited to go right to rehearsal right that's exactly it doesn't feel like work yeah exactly it, it so High school felt like work. A big chunk of college felt like work for me because I had to take things like math and, and God and, and things I don't like trigonometry and food. I don't really, I mean, you know, you don't remember those things anymore. So sure. <laughs> film school, it's like you wake up and, and you're excited because you know you're learning something that, that makes you better at your craft. And, and I absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, that's great. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, especially artists, could relate to what you just said. Um, I was going to say, well, well, you're in Australia. You have, you have achieved some sort of success and notoriety, receiving num- numerous important awards um, while, while based out there. I mean, congratulations. I wanted our listeners as well to briefly hear from you about said accolades. Why don't we start with your uh, Best Short Film Award at Cannes? Uh, could you take us to that process? Okay, um, so I think that was, oh wow, that was so long ago. I think it was 2006. Um, so at the time, I, I had to do a graduating um, film. And it was, and, and at the time, I had done several short films already. Um, but all of them at that point had, had been shot on, on digital video. So there was an itch I really needed to scratch because I know I, I, at the time, the trend was already shifting towards, you know, shoot everything on video. It's cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. The university had cameras that they um, wanted to wanted us to use, but they were they were on digital. I said, but well, but no. Would you guys mind if if I, you know, scrounge up something and, and try to shoot on film? They said, well, yes, but we can't help you as much. But you know, but okay, whatever. So, so um, at the time, I said, well, I want to shoot something on film, and. So, so I came up with a story about, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, it had to be a simple story because I, because film is, was, and is, uh, not cheap. So, so, um, I I knew I had to make a story that was quite simple to do and simple to shoot, uh, at two days at at the most. So I came up Mm -hmm. with a story called the haircut. Um, and it's about a, a barber who, when you meet him, he seems kind of like dis- disenchanted with his life, and you can see that he's kind of all alone um, in his barber shop, which is kind of like fading the way he is. Um, but then, out of the blue, in comes a customer who just happens to be completely bald, and um, mm. that bald customer surprises the barber and asks for a haircut. And and the barber realizes, oh well, I guess there's really nothing else to do. Uh, obliges and and ends up and and the two end up having kind of like a good time together and the film ends with the the bald guy seemingly happy with his haircut moving on with this with his own kind of like life and the barber mm-hmm. you know resuming his own life so I I, I I based it on on the idea that you know at the time I was getting a lot of haircuts in like this this really old vintage um barber shop and I, I just loved the look and the feel and the smell of it and I knew I wanted to to shoot something there um, so yeah, so so um, so friends and I shot it. Uh, it, it became my my finals, uh, I guess, thesis project, and it did mm-hmm. quite quite well. Um, I remember entering it in in a local film festival, and it uh, didn't get in. Um, but at the time, um, uh, the Cannes Film Festival um, had just launched the short film corner. Um, so, yeah. so, so just to be clear, so the short film corner is basically it, it's it's a it's a it's a side event. It's basically like sure. a, a film market, and it is not the the Cannes Film Festival, which you know, uh, which awards you know the Palme d'Or, which Raymond Red sure. won you know uh, for the for the Philippines many many years ago, um, mm-hmm. amazingly. So, so um, I just. Thought I would send the film to to the short film corner um, in hopes that you know maybe someone would like it and and buy it uh, and uh, you know give it some form of distribution. Um, but as it turns out, uh, there was a, 
a little contest happening uh, within that that corner. A, a channel at the time called the Mini Movie Channel uh, in Europe um, had seen it, and they said, "Oh, we we love this film. We want to give it an award." So, so they named it nice. best, yeah, best short film, which, which was quite nice. Um, and it it also won a couple of other awards in some local film festivals in Sydney, uh, mm. which which allowed me to actually meet uh, the producer of. Uh, the first move, feature-length movie that I would do called The Tunnel. Um, I, right. Yeah, I was in a film festival. So it's amazing how these things kind of just domino effect when you, um, when you, when you do something. I, I was at a film festival and The Haircut had just won um, an award for Best Musical Score. And as I was, I was going home, um, this really tall guy came up to me and he said, Hi, my name is Enzo. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an editor, um, but I'm also um, trying to be a producer. We should work together uh, on something. So because Enzo had seen the haircut, we ended up working on a short film together. And that we had such a great experience working together that we ended up uh, doing the tunnel. So I, I would say, you know, um, the haircut was such a great springboard in the sense that um, more, more than the award, which, which is nice. It, but what, what that film did was it kind of opened new relationships, uh, which allowed me to kind of get my, my first movie off the ground. So I, I guess the lesson, yeah I guess the lesson to be learned there is you know um when when younger filmmakers ask me for advice is like you know what, what mm-hmm. should you do first I said well what shouldn't you do I, I mean just at at this stage of your career if you're starting out just shoot shoot as many things as you can make your mistakes while mm-hmm. while you can you know find your voice uh, from a visual standpoint like if like like do angles do story like find out what what clicks for you as, as a storyteller and, and figure it out. A, a lot of people seem to, to try to, to be what, what I call home run directors. And, you know, they want to, they, they, they want to be that guy that kind of like pops out of nowhere and, and it's like an old mm-hmm. sensation. And, um, but what, what these, what these people don't realize is that, you know, the, the so-called overnight sensations that, that we, read about or hear about have actually have really been working for so long exactly they've been working for so long so and and those people have many 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 short films which they will never show anyone but they've done just to to find their voice and and to find you know they've got scripts which are tucked away in their drawers which they will never show anyone but right what what the process of those things were is that it allowed them to kind of make their mistakes and kind of just kind of sharpen their their instruments so that when they quote unquote become an overnight success, it seems as if, you know, that they've been ready or, or that they right. can okay. but I, I really don't believe in that. Like uh, you know, the, the overnight entrepreneur that kind of just pops out of nowhere. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean I'm sure I'm sure from in the dance world it's the same thing. Oh yeah. Especially it's a, it's the same. Especially there's no such thing. It, yeah, exactly. there's no such thing. With theater it's the same thing. No one I, I mean fine, you, you can find a, a theater actor who has the natural gift of, of being able to convey emotion or capture emotion, but there is so much craft that goes into mm-hmm. intonation, into, into blocking, into marking and, and, and rehearsing and memorization. Um, you know what I mean? So, so. No, yeah, totally. And a, a lot of that really, um, uh, at least on, from my own experience is, is being at the right place at the right time. The opportunities as an artist that I was able to do and experience uh, wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have had those had I not been in the right place at the right time. I mean, I mean, perfect example is Leah Salonga, 
um, she has been doing. I mean, she's been a theater actress since she was, I don't know, four. Exactly. Um, and, and she really, uh, when she was discovered, people thought that, you know, oh my goodness, where have you been hiding all this time? You know, but uh, the girl has been a professional she longer was, than... She was um, Annie. She had done Annie by that time. And right, right. Same so, thing I mean, with Monique yeah. Wilson as well. You know, I mean, both 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 those those ladies had been like doing that grind for like, their their entire childhood but of course i had remember that that was such a big thing when miss saigon came out you know all, mm-hmm. every little girl in bacol wanted to be like leah salonga and, and and monique wilson and, and 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 you know they thought oh my god if i if i just learn how to sing somehow i can become the next you know broadway or, or sure pony award star not, not realizing that you know it, it takes a lot of work to to get to that level, to be able to sing like that consistently on on uh, you know seven seven days, how many shows do uh, uh, does Broadway do? I mean, seven shows a week, you know, things like that. It, it takes a lot of work and a lot of craft. So, um, right, absolutely. I, I mean, that's that's the uh, that's the advice I always give to. Yeah, I, I was I was gonna say you've um, you've kind of mentioned it already. Uh, so. So your short film was the one that really like sort of led you to do the tunnel, uh, which um, for a first feature film already gave you the best director award. Was that a source of pride on your end that your very first feature film you're already acknowledged? Um, it, it was uh, it was a great feeling only because it I was able to kind of I, I guess the award was nice, but I, it felt good. I mean, not not to sound cheesy, but it felt like such an accomplishment, not just for me, but for the writers and producers uh, who were Enzo Tedeschi and, and Julian Harvey, because they were the ones that really conceptualized the story of the tunnel. And, and not only that, also devised the way it was marketed and distributed to the world. Um, and so for them to trust me with their baby um, and, and to give me their script uh, for me to execute, you know, someone who had never done, you know, a full-length feature, I thought was was such a, a kind thing for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, uh, winning the award, uh, it was a, a, a Night of Horror Film Festival. You know, um, it was such a cool award because I felt like, okay, like, I, I think I'm kind of on the right track here. Um, you know, people seem to have liked the film. Okay, now l- let's see what else I can do with it and and, and take it further. So, that that was a really fun experience through shooting the tunnel. Uh, I mean, if shooting short films is is one thing every filmmaker was do, I would say, I can honestly say that nothing really prepares you for doing your first full length feature film. It, it's just a completely different beast to tame. Mm. I, I, it's yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, the sh- doing short films are like little little sprints, you know. But 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 when you get into into a full full length feature, it's really you really need to kind of set yourself up mentally and emotionally uh, for a very, very long ride, at least a year. Yeah, and and I was going to say from the very small research that I've done, it seemed that um, uh, in addition from uh, in addition f- to the film just being very successful, it seemed like it was also... Um, it also broke grounds on using the power of the internet and social media and financing, promoting, and making the film even more successful. What was, uh, what were you guys, um, what was the thought process in um, going through the channel? 
that was that was an incredible experience as well because we decided we started shooting the film without having our full budget yet. Um, but what was really crafty with the distribution model that Enzo and and Jules did was um, they wanted to to sell digital frames of the film. This was this was before the time. I think I, I think fundraising pages were kind of already there. But we wanted to kind of level up and kind of be our own GoFundMe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we pre-sold the film by by promising buyers like like for for the equivalent of a dollar, you get ownership of a frame of the film. So so what would right. is people would log onto the tunnel website and they would pledge, let's say, a dollar. And as soon as the film would come out, they would get a, a random generated. Um, screenshot of the film which is high res and then uh one of the cool things we did was that we were able to get all the names of the people who funded the film and we made them part of the poster so so if you mm. see if you see the film poster uh, which you can find online it's mm-hmm. uh um it's a screaming it's a it's a close-up of a screaming face uh of belle delia the, the actress mm-hmm. but if you look closer her face is actually made up of all the names of the people who donated or who, who contributed to making the film so that, oh, cool. that was quite cool. So that was that was one cool thing. The other cool thing was that we decided to to use um, the notorious uh, internet to and, and we torrented ourselves actually. We we put our film up on on torrents for, for people mm. to, to kind of just download freely. The the rationale behind that was that we felt like by people doing that, um, we had a stronger chance of more people seeing the film. Um, mm-hmm. And and it, it worked because people were able to kind of watch it and through word of mouth, people were able to kind of spread and talk about it. And it actually didn't backfire because it resulted in, in some proper, I guess you could say proper distribution deals for us. Um, Paramount uh, Films came and uh, got us for distribution for Australia and New Zealand. Um, and some other companies were able to get it for uh, US distribution for Blu-ray and all that. So... So by, by sending out our film into torrents ourselves allowed other people to kind of discover the movie and like the movie enough that they said, okay, we want to get uh, the DVD rights for this. So let, let's make a deal happen. So I, I guess it was really groundbreaking at the time. Um, mm-hmm. We were able to kind of harness word of mouth and, and this was before Instagram, this was before Facebook right. exploding. So we, we were really kind of able to to, to harness the, the best of what uh, Torrance had to offer um, at the time. This was really how guerrilla marketing is. Yes. yes unlike exactly. how it is right now. Yep. I, I, I don't know if it's something I would do all the time or for maybe it's something I would do again for, for another film in the future. Absolutely. Um, but I, I'm not saying it's the, it's the way or the right way, but it's a way. You know, I mean, there, I mean mm-hmm. that's something that's something aspiring filmmakers can do, you know, um, especially in this day and age. People are, are streaming everything now and, and watching everything on their mobiles and on their laptops. So why not work with that as opposed to against that? Right, right. Um, and I was going to say, when did you then decide that you wanted to be Philippine-based or move back? Okay. Um, so the, the tunnel had just uh, come out. And at the time, uh, my wife and I, uh, it was such a momentous year. The tunnel came out. Um, I got married. Uh, and so, you, as you can as you can see, it was kind of like just crazy, amazing, like 
Right. Um, you were having life. the time of your life. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like all these, all these, you know, um, amazing things happening. So um, my wife, uh, who is from the Philippines, and, and I always talked about it. And we said, you know, when we would have our, our first child, we would make the, the clear decision to move back to the Philippines. And why is that? Is because we, we, we wanted our, our son to grow up, you know, with, with his family, with cousins, um, the way my wife and I grew up, you know, we're, we both come from very um, close knit families. So we we didn't want our son to to be that cousin from abroad who comes home to the Philippines and doesn't know anyone. We we didn't want to deprive him of that. So it, it was a, a very easy decision to make. I mean, it was sad to leave Australia um, because you know I have so so much fond memories there. Uh, I mean, a part of me still belongs there, to be honest. And I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly believe that I will make more films there when the time is right. Um, but yeah, so eight years ago, my wife and I moved back to the Philippines and, and we set up base here. And uh, no regrets. It's been great. Um, so thanks to my son, I am now back in Philippine soil. <laughs> yeah, great. And, and what would you say is the biggest difference between pursuing your craft in another country and say here in the Philippines? Um, they're both they're both challenging in different ways. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that that making a movie or, or trying to get a movie off the ground in any country is difficult to begin with because so many factors and so many things have to align for a movie to happen. Um, you know, it took me many, many years uh, to, to get my second feature film, which is Sonod, off the ground or happening mm-hmm. because, you know, I had I had all these different um, starts and then I had all these other opportunities, which I thought would happen, but but didn't. But then, you know, that, that is the nature of, of movie making. It's it's that okay. um, making movies or, or getting a movie into your first day of shooting is, is very difficult, you know? I mean, it, it costs a lot of money uh, to to make films. So, so you need to kind of get, you know, actors, producers, you know, um, financing teams all together and aligned to, to be able to do that. So, so regardless of what country you're in, uh, that ends up challenging. So, so having said that, I, I think it it would probably, the challenge I would say maybe of of making a movie in Australia is that because I guess, um, it, it's probably more expensive because of the, the dollar. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the amount, let's say if I had X amount of money, um, I would probably be able to have more shooting days in the Philippines compared to Australia, simply because the, the, the value of the dollar would go a longer way here in the Philippines. You know what I mean? So there's, there's a lot of that uh, to consider. So it's, it's, a, it's different, different strokes, really. Um, it's very mm-hmm. hard to compare, I would say. I see. Um, I was going to say, did you, well, knowing what the industry here, because I know for a fact that talent is not something that the Philippines is lacking, but in mm-hmm. your in, in the film industry, what do you think are some of the things or aspects that could, could be improved um, so that Filipino filmmakers uh, can be a lot more competitive um, compared to filmmakers that are based uh, in more developed countries. Yep. Um, I absolutely agree with you 100% uh, with your comment about talent. I I think there is no shortage of of talent here in the Philippines. Um, 
and and second, I, I think that's really the main hindrance is is budget. You know, um, I, I'm okay. I'm one hundred percent confident that if you were to to bring in bigger budgets to allow for more shooting days, I think you would definitely see um, better films because I think for me, filmmaking really boils down to to having time and having time to really sit down and not rush and, and being able to, to work a scene properly and not have to kind of scramble. And in, in the movie industry, time takes money, um, which mm. I, I eventually learned um, there, there's not a lot of money uh, being placed in Filipino films compared to, let's say, other fil- other countries like Japan or Korea. Um, okay. You know, you look at films from Korea and, and or, or I watch movies from Korea and, you know, I many times I'm just shaking my head. It's like, oh my God, like, like, wow. Like how, there, there was clearly a lot of budget behind that. Like, mm-hmm. how you, like Train to Busan, when, when Train to Busan came out, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how, mm-hmm. how did they, oh, like, oh my God, you know? Uh, and, and films like the, the movies that Bong Joon-ho would do, like the host, when the host came out. Sure. Yeah, I remember watching it. I was like, oh my God, like the CG is incredible. Like how, you know, and, and, and when I would research and, and go to Wikipedia and, and try to find, like they, the budgets that these these countries have are just so much more than than what um, we get to kind of work with in the Philippines, and mm-hmm. and I suppose it's because the Philippines is, is a much smaller market, and and therefore investors would kind of just invest relative to that. But okay, you know, I, I firmly believe um, if if more investors overseas gave Filipino filmmakers a chance, uh, and and kind of gave gave us bigger budgets um, to play with. I, I think we would definitely see, you know, um, some, some, you know, some, some, so much more interesting and, and, and exciting films to come out of this country. I see. Well, I'm sure that's a whole different topic that yes. we could spend hours and hours talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm going to segue to, since this is a Halloween episode, oh. I wanted now to sh- uh, to shift our conversation on horror films as a genre. Yeah. For your very first feature film, you took on the genre, and subsequently your follow-up film was the same. Well, based on the stories that you have mentioned uh, earlier, there seems to, um, is it safe to sort of assume that there's always been a fascination and a desire to make horror films on your end? Yeah, and, and you know what, I- it's funny because when I entered film school, I never thought I would kind of be this focused on making horror films. But then as my kind of career went along, um, I started to kind of realize that, you know, because of my very first you know, experience with, with movies, which was Jaws, it, it made me realize that there is a particular type of horror filmmaking that I like or that I seem to be particularly drawn to. And when I realized that, I realized that, okay, well, this is something I want to, to embrace, you know, not, not, not necessarily horror per se, but, but I, mm-hmm. I like polygenre films, you know, like I, I love sci-fi, I love action, um, okay. just as much as I love horror, but, but the thing in common that kind of, um, that threads across all the genres that I love is that uh, all those, all the films that I really love have really strong character development and really strong story. So, so if you say that, um, so I'll, I'll answer, yes, I love horror, but mm-hmm. a particular type of horror that, um, which, which I feel it needs to have something to say. And I, I feel like 
the mm-hmm. four films that I want to to do um, moving forward, I feel need to really have a strong human element. Um, it really has to be about the story and about the characters. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm not about. Um, although I enjoy them, um, I enjoy gory films. I enjoy jump scare films. You know, as mm-hmm. much as the next uh, horror fan, but those are not the the kind of horror films that I I see myself doing. Um, yeah, the horror films. That, yes, that's right. So. So, um, I, I do I do really want to continue doing more horror films. Um, in fact, the next one I'm doing is is, is that, and it's my favorite subgenre, which is zombies. <laughs> so fingers uh, fingers crossed uh, that that happens. Right. Well, I was gonna say, was there any um, any favorite filmmaker filmmakers that have dabbled in this genre, whether they're foreign or local, that you have admired or maybe inspired you? Uh, oh my god! There's just so many. When you say foreign filmmakers, uh, Filipino or well, anybody, I, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I know Steven Spielberg was one, um, but are, are there anybody that sort of like resonated with you the most and say, "Hey, I sort of want to do that same track that he or she is doing." Um, it's funny um, when people ask me that. I mean, I, I'm I'm such a huge fan of of all of all sorts of, of directors. Like you can put me uh, in in front of, of a screen and I'll watch pretty much anyone. You know, um, mm. you know, I love David Fincher. I love Steve. Well, Steven Spielberg was kind of like the gateway that kind of opened me up to to the world of filmmaking. And and then of course after that you you discover you know the other greats. Uh, moving forward, um, just just off the top of my head, um, I, I love the films that Danny Boyle does. You know, like he mm-hmm. done one of my favorite. Right. I would say my favorite zombie film, which is Twenty Eight Days Later. But at the same time, he he's really not known as a horror director. Like he he kind sure. of shifts from from different material to the other. But he has such a distinct style and a distinct voice that he puts into all of his movies. That when you watch it, you know, okay, I, I'm watching a Danny Boyle film. And yet, when, right. when Twenty Eight Days Later came out, it was such such a game changing film for me because all the films about zombies I had watched at that stage didn't resonate or scare me as much because you know uh, at that at the time you know I felt zombies were slow. But it was when Twenty Eight Days Later came out um, that's what made me realize: okay, like why are zombies so realistic? And 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 why do I feel watching this film? Why do I feel as if this is something that could happen? And this was many, many years ago. This was in 2002, I think, when it came out. Right. And back right. then, you know, we didn't know anything about face masks or infections or pandemics. And yet cut to 2020 and here we are, you know. And, and that's why uh, zombie films for me, I feel, have like such value and importance now because I feel like we're living in that world, you know. Parang <laughs> with good COVID is for like a mutation to like, transform sure and then and then yeah yeah (laughs) exactly the next the next thing you know we're like in that movie uh with brad pitt z or something like that Um, or z yes that's right right yeah um why do you think uh horror films are very popular among the public um because i think they're i think it is absolutely healthy for people to get scared in in the cinema or, or mm-hmm. I think we need horror films. And I, I speak very strongly of this. You know, I, I get a lot of um, funny comments from relatives. They're like, oh, Carla, I, I don't want to watch your film because I hate, sc- I hate scary movies. They always tell me that. I, I hate 
Mm-hmm. I can't stand it because when I ask them why, they say, well, it's because I don't like to be scared. It stresses me out and all that. Um, and then, you know, I, I absolutely accept and, 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 and understand their, their opinions. But I'm, I'm of the opinion that I, I think horror films are something we need, you know, only because by, by being scared. And this is something I, I discovered watching horror films as a kid and then growing up. I, when I was a kid, I would watch all these, the, these horror films, you know, on Betamax. And, and, and mm-hmm. But by doing that, I realized, you know, it, it would make me braver in the real world. By, by being scared in, in the safe confines of my room or in the movie house, I was able to kind of like face my real world, world fears with a lot more balance and, 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 and a lot more, more um, even-headedness, so to speak. So I, mm-hmm. I think people love horror because I think uh, being scared or, or, being, or, or being frightful is as natural a reaction as being kilig, being happy, and being sad. I, I mean, fear, okay. I think fear is something we all need to feel. And I think fear is something we all feel now, especially uh, in, in today's world. So I think more than ever, I think horror films are more important because um, wouldn't you much rather get scared in 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 a make believe world rather than be you know, in real life? Than in real life. <laughs> well, that's that's how I see it. I actually turn to horror films now when I when I get stressed with what's happening with the U.S. elections or our own government. <laughs> you know, I, sure, sure. I'm like, screw this. The world's crazy. I'm gonna watch a horror film. Right, right. A lot of people watch uh, K dramas. I'm like, oh yeah, that's all well and good, but I'm I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch some something scary. (laughs) That's your form of escape, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. well, I wouldn't really consider myself a film expert, or uh, but I I love movies, and but I tend to categorize horror films as say gory, say like The Saw, or campy like Scream, psychological like Sixth Sense, or thrillers yeah, like Psycho. Oh, uh, what mentioned are, are awesome. What what makes a horror film a horror film, or should I say scary? Um, it depends who you ask. Um, when I when I was doing Sunod, I, I actually asked that question to a lot of people. I'd be like, you know, from random people, from my hardcore movie fan friends to, to people who didn't like films to, and I would, I found, I was so amused to find that I would get all sorts of answers. Like a lot of the non-horror fans would kind of say, as long as there's a jump scare, it would be scary for them. For them, a horror film equated to being, having a jump scare or getting a jump scare, you know, every five minutes into the film. Mm-hmm. Whereas I noticed a lot of um, <laughs> horror connoisseurs or, 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 or fans of horror um, much preferred the films that kind of left more of an unsettling feeling in your, in your gut. You know, not so much jump scares, but more of just like, you know, um, just, just something bothersome or unsettling um, in them. So it, it really depends who you ask. Um, mm-hmm. Me personally, I, I think what makes a horror film scary is when you think about it days after you've watched it. Um, I, I love I love being jump scare. I, I, I think um, a well crafted jump scare is something I always I you know I can always appreciate. But um, I, lately, uh, I find myself really gravitating towards horror films that don't necessarily have a lot of jump scares in them, but leave you kind of mm-hmm. thinking afterwards. Um, Recent films that have done that um, were films from A24, like um, Hereditary um, mm-hmm. or, or The Witch. 
I mean, both those films don't have much jump scares, but they, they kind of stick at the back of your head and they just kind of make you think whether or not you, you saw or thought mm-hmm. you know, there was something in the frame or not. So those films I absolutely love. The Shining, yeah. the Shining was something I watched when I was um, a teenager uh, a long time ago as well. And I remember not being too scared by it when I was watching it. But it was only when I kind of, you know, found myself sleeping alone and, and wanting to go right. to the bathroom to take a shower. And I realized, oh, holy crap, why am I thinking about that girl in the bathtub? And, and why mm-hmm. why am I so, so worried that when I turn this corner, I'm going to see two twin girls in the hallway kind of like smiling at me and asking me to be their friend. You know what I mean? So it's right. so I would yes. I'm more along the lines of, of those types of films that kind of imprint themselves psychologically rather than kind of like do a you know jump scare feel. I see, I see. Yeah. Well from from the Alfred Hitchcocks of previous years to the paranormal paranormal activities of late, how has horror films evolved in terms of technique, visual style and approach? I would say in terms of evolution, what you're you're definitely seeing is that you are seeing um, so many styles in terms of experimentation. You know, um, you've got all these uh, cool camera moves. I don't know if you've seen the recent film Invisible Man, um, which is directed by Lee Wano. Uh, that had some some pretty amazing technology there. Mm-hmm. I thought was used really effectively. Um, but at the end of the day, if you look at all the really good horror films, um, they all it, it's interesting you mentioned Hitchcock because at the end of the day, a lot of all these really good films and all these if if you if you you watch them, a lot of the techniques that they do, a lot of the camera angles and the editing techniques and, and the the pacing that they do still kind of harkens back to to all these classic films uh, of old. The only simply because the, I think back then, guys like Hitchcock kind of figured out the psychology of how to 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 scare people. They kind of figured out by themselves, you know, the, the film language that would evoke the most terrifying um, feeling in in a person, and that's not changed. In the same way, you know, um, comedy movies now or 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 love stories still still go back to the same rules that films back in the day have done. Because at the end of the day, I think. The psychology of us as humans hasn't really changed. The technology has the, the technology has changed absolutely. I mean, you're seeing all these cool visual effects and and all these very interesting camera angles and movements now, which were not um, possible then. But at the end of the day, um, a, a lot of what filmmakers are doing now still go back to to the classic rules that were done by by people from long ago. I see. Uh, in the Philippine context, there seems to be a formula as far as horror films are concerned. Would you say that this assessment is correct? Um, when you say formula, what, would, uh, what do you mean? Well, you know, um, um, the uh, at least the, the films that I've seen or I've known of, it, it's always like about a particular um, uh culture thing or a belief yeah. or uh, a, a legend and it always is uh, somebody that um, the, the protagonist is always the one that's sort of like creating chaos mm-hmm. among everybody else mm-hmm. up until that that sort of like um, tradition is resolved and then it all like finishes or comes together at the end um, 
Right. right so I'm not right. I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's more market driven because that's what the audiences are really looking for or are used to, or is it because uh, it's culture driven? That's what we as Filipinos are more familiar with. So that's what we tend to sort of um, consume and appreciate better. That's a really that's a really good um, uh, point. You're probably right in the sense that I, I think culturally, um, we as uh, um, as a nation have so much lore and, and so much like like interesting mythologies and, and legends and creatures that, in fact, I would say, how can we not want to tell these stories? You know about about all these uh, mythologies that we have. In fact, I, I I feel like we need more of it, mm-hmm. uh, but. But in in a fresh way, like you know, I, I think there have been a lot of stories about aswangs already. But like, how would we moving forward into the future? How could we kind of put that in a fresh, new new way of of telling, you know, um, and things like that? Um, so absolutely, I, I think it's not an accident that you know a lot of Filipino movies seem to follow a formula, the formula of of tradition or lore, uh, only because simply because we have a lot of it. And I think studios like that comfort level because they know, ah, okay, sige, kung gagawa tayo ng, you know, uh, movie about, let's say, um, you know, Multo or, or Atyanak, um, people will go to see it because they know of it. It was told to them by their, by their, their grandmothers or, or mothers. Right. So, so, so there's that familiarity. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. all for that because I, I think the, the Philippines has such a unique, uh, culture that I think Filipino kulang pa I think there's there's still a lot more that we can say. What I would say actually is you know, uh, and I'm glad it it doesn't really seem to happen anymore. I think there was a time when when a lot of Filipino horror films um, were trying to kind of emulate Japanese horror or or J horror, which which, okay. I, which I think was fine. But at the same time, I felt you know I I felt there was so much more we could do as as a country. We have our own we have our own multo. We have our own, you know, aswangs and mythological creatures. We don't really need to do a film about, you know, uh, th- that's similar to The Ring or or, or right. things like that. Um, but at the time, that was such a that was such a trend. You know, there there had to be that um, that J horror feel. Um, I, I feel we as a country have a lot more in common with with I think Spanish horror or or Mexican horror. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. of our Catholic. Um, upbringing um you know i i love horror films like um well from mexico there was the, the devil's backbone by guillermo del toro um mm. uh, there was the orphanage uh from spain which is one of my favorite uh films of all time uh the, that, that film is it's so scary beautiful. it's scary but but do you do you remember it there's hardly any jump scares Yes, but it's very scary. It's very scary, and and my favorite scene there, and I, if you remember this, is when she, she plays hide and seek, and and she's mm-hmm. counting, she's counting one to ten, and and every time the camera pans, you see the ghost kids kind of get closer and closer to, her. and note mm-hmm. oh, how that is not a jump scare. That is the camera just rolling in one take and not, and letting your imagination do the trick. You can't see the ghost, the kids' faces there, and it's absolutely terrifying. And mm-hmm. that that that's what I mean is is that you know. Horror can be done in so many ways. And for me, that is the, the sort of horror that I absolutely love because not only did it not have, you know, rely on jump scares, but it was all mm-hmm. about character and and, and about, um, you know, uh, 
children and family and, 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 and orphans. And there was such a rich story behind it that, that you absolutely kind of, you know, invest yourself into. So me personally, I feel because of our Catholic and, and Spanish um, upbringing, I, I think we, we can relate a lot more to, to films from Spain and, and Mexico, to be honest, more than, let's say, Japan. I see. Well, I, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but was there any Filipino-directed horror film that have stuck with you long after you've seen the movie? Or you're still sort of like talking about or mentioning whenever you talk to different people about horror films? <laughs> okay, I, it's, it's, a, it's great you ask that because I do have one film which up to this day still sticks, sticks to me and absolutely terrifies me. But I think it's only because I watched it when I was very, very, very young. So to be honest, I haven't seen it in years. So I don't know how it's aged. But I remember watching um, one of the early Shake, Rattle, and Roll movies. And there was an episode there called Halimaw Sa Banga. And, and it was about uh, basically an, an entity or a, or, or a demon that lived inside a giant baul. And, all mm-hmm. the, and and she would just kind of pounce on whoever would be near her. And I still remember watch I, I remember watching it. So if you're if you're asking me what movie sticks with me up to this day, mm-hmm. that, that is my clear answer because to this day I cannot pass a baul or a banga without kind of like like getting getting goosebumps up my neck. Now I don't know mm-hmm. if that movie has aged well or not, and and to be honest, I, and I apologize. I don't even remember who the director was. Was it Pekka Galaga? I'm I'm not sure. All I remember is the long, creepy, long hair of of the the monster in in that baul and and her long nails, and it freaked the shit out of me when I was a kid, and and my cousins too, and 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 my grandmother's house had all these. Uh, baols and bangas like around her house and we would just be so terrified of passing through all of them at night so there you go i mean that that is i, th- I think a clear example of, of being able to do something that that sticks to you even after you've you've left the cinema but i think it's because i watched it as a kid and, and to this day i still get loose moms thinking about it I see. I, I quickly, I, I quickly googled it. It's uh, the director is Christopher De Leon and Mario O'Hara. Christopher De Leon, the actor. Uh, I think so. Oh, wow. That's that's who. Oh, that's who was yes. okay. okay, there you go. Well, nice. Okay. Well, there you it, go. It was a 1986 uh, yes. film. That's right. It, it was 1986, um, and I remember that my cousins and I watched it in little. Uh, we watched it in Makati Cinema Square. Um, mm-hmm. and we were just so terrified by it. And it didn't help that um, commercials of the trailer kept on showing on TV. So every time we would watch TV, we would see the, the long fingernails of, of the halimaw kind of just, you know, and it just, yeah, it freaked us out. Right. <laughs> I, 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 I think I have a similar um, sort of experience. Um, sure, yeah. The, the, the Filipino horror movie that have stuck with me, and I, I cannot forget about it, was the one of the very first shake rattle and roll and it was a peke galyaga one it was the one it was aswang mm. it was with uh richard gomez in manilin something about this girl invited her to a uh a fiesta back mm. home she was the she was the main she was the main course yes yes yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I remember that. yes. And, <laughs> and i remember that i um 
I refused to go to any um, fiestas in the provinces <laughs> after that. Right, that's right. That's right. Um, and, uh, but it, in a way, yeah. That came out of, of the Shake, Rattle, and, and, and Road series. So there, there, there are some, some really great gems out there. So I, I think, you know, I, I really wish, you know, more people would, would throw more support behind um, Filipino horror films because... Um, we, we have such a rich history. We have such a rich culture. So, you know, and, and we just need budget. We just need time and money to, to really make films that, that can kind of hold up and match against, um, you know, films from our neighboring countries. Mm-hmm. Well, I sort of wanted to quickly touch on your visual philosophy as far as filmmaking. Uh, we, we've talked about and you've mentioned about less is more. How has sticking to this philosophy helped shape the overall quality of your work? Um, it's something I, it's a philosophy that I kind of adapt, not just in film, but just like in life in general. I feel that less is more has kind of resulted in, in just better things for me. It, may, it might not be the case with, with everyone, but now, now with regards to film, um, I find that with horror films especially, you know, I find that by, by revealing less, um, and, and this was something I, I kind of just developed on my own. Again, I'm not saying it's the right way, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. I, I found that, you know, as I grew up and, and moved through my life watching horror films, I found that horror films stopped being scary for me once I, I re- was shown what the, the creature was or what the monster was, you know, and mm-hmm. it really happens like in the second act or, or in the third act. And I would stop being scared and be like, oh, okay, it's just a CG monster and whatnot. So, so, I, so that was a lesson I learned a lot um, watching Jaws, you know, and, and Alien was another one um, only because you see so little of the evil that kind of hunts, you know, um, the, the characters and and because of that, you as as a viewer imagine things more rather than than just kind of absorbing um, what you're seeing right away. Um, there are a lot of films which which are great, which are which are flat out just horror. You know, from the first scene, you kind of know what the monster is. Um, but mm-hmm. I find that those films tend to not be scary for me. You know, I, I like I like having things buried in the shadows for as long as possible. You know, I I, I love I love films like. Like I said, hereditary, where you know you're watching a wide shot and the camera doesn't cut, right? And then you're seeing a room, and and your eyes are like, why is the director not cutting? What's going on? And and your eyes kind of like look around to see, am I supposed to be looking at something? I, mm-hmm. I, I like horror films that kind of make your mind work a little bit, which is why, um, in fact, when 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 a movie, uh, when the movie Blair Witch Project came out, you know, I, I thought mm-hmm. it was absolutely groundbreaking. I mean, it it gets talked sure. About. I mean, it gets talked about now as uh, as something, you know, people seem to give found footage a bad rap. But I remember when we were making the tunnel, I mean, Blair Witch mm-hmm. was like um, was like the standard that we kind of looked up to. We were so appreciative of what Blair Witch Project did because no one really knew what it was. And you never right. you never see anything. I mean, and, I mean, not many people like it because it's, it's nauseating, it's handheld. But the way it managed to trick you and, and implant the idea in your head that there was something mm-hmm. out there hunting you without showing anything, even up to the very last shot, all you see is the, the shot of the guy's back turned and then suddenly the mm-hmm. quantum kind of gets knocked down. You never see anything. And yet, and yet, why is that movie still being talked about to this day? Um, sure. And it's because less is more. 
I, I mm-hmm. think that movie would not have been as successful had there been a shot where in the camera pans and you see a witch. I, I honestly mm-hmm. believe that. If if you turn mm-hmm. and see what the Blair Witch looks like, because now people would just screen grab it and do memes out of it and, and share it. But to this day, you still don't know what the Blair Witch looks like. You still kind of are wondering, shit, like you think she's she's an old lady? She right. You know what I mean? It's it's your mind that's yeah. It's your mind. Yeah, it's it, it's playing mind games on you or it's tricking you. Exactly. So for me, for me, less is more all day, every day. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say when I was watching your movie, that's sort of like the feel that I got. Like, I, I, I kept on thinking, I was, what, what, what is going on? Uh, it, it's playing its mind trick on me. And, and, and in addition to that, I was going to say, would you agree that um, horror films are also a lot dependent on the actors that you had? Uh, you're mentioning like Harry the Terry, like uh, I mean Tony Collette was oh God, yeah. fabulous, He's, and and uh, that's no how I. Yeah, I mean that's I was gonna say uh, the lead actress in your movie, um, and and the kid, uh, I thought was like oh my gosh this 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 two girls are like driving me nuts. It's it's um it's making me like now what. Now I want to watch it like by myself because I was thinking if I go to the bathroom, <laughs> I was gonna see like a string like you know hanging somewhere, and I'm I'll be the next one. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, character absolutely. You know what? Um, uh, and this is something uh, I was taught in film school. The secret to directing is fifty percent getting the right cast. <laughs> Honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, um. Well, well, two things. One is, as a director, you owe it to yourself to to work with the best possible people that you can, whether it be a cinematographer, a production designer, uh, assistant director, composer. You try you, you what you want to do is you want to try to work with people who are better than you in their fields, so that you know they, they can kind of elevate your vision in ways that you would never even dream. You know, and and the same thing goes with actors. Um, we had a lengthy audition process for Sunod. Um, although with with um, the role of Olivia, Carmina was like an outright easy choice because um, I wanted someone who, uh, Carmina Villaruel, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. who is absolutely wonderful. Um, we, I wanted someone who was a mom uh, in real life because I wanted that gravitas and, and someone who could kind of just channel that experience of wanting to protect. So when I met Carmina for the first time, I got that vibe from her immediately. I remember Anton Santa Maria and I, the writer, uh, when we met her for the first time, we kind of nudged each other because what I liked about Carmina was that she had a vulnerability. Um, she she's she when you see her in person, she's very frail, seemingly frail, um, and you know you think uh, she could easily break. But what you don't know about her is that there there is such a strength to her that she's actually pretty badass. <laughs> Like when mm. when she started doing all the physical stuff of the movie, she she did everything so well and so strong, and and that's what I wanted from from that role is I, I wanted that inner strength um, mm-hmm. from Carmina. Um, with the role of Anel, we had a, a lengthy audition process. I think we looked at a hundred um, child actors uh, for the mm-hmm. role, and and we kept on coming back to to Crystal Brimmer um, because she was just. A standout in, in her auditions mm-hmm. um, and again she, she's a great great actress yeah yeah um again she was uh someone who had already done many uh, a film she she did uh eric matty's honor thy father um many yeah. 
she done theater. She was Annie uh, in in a mm-hmm. local production. So it's not like she was an overnight sensation. Again, going back to our conversation earlier, this this is a girl who's worked on her craft ever since she was a little child. So by the time she came to us, you know, um, she she could just easily switch into into her character um, seamlessly. And um, she was great. Both of them were fantastic, you know. Um, and and that was such a, a blessing for me as a director because, yeah, we didn't have many days to shoot. So I needed actors who could be able to just nail the take in as little takes as possible. And, and thankfully, thanks to both of them, they were able to, to do that for me. Great. Um, I was going to say, too, that your um, your film is an overall um, sleek or visual quality to it. Was that always intentional on your end or that's really your style? Um, it's a style that I would say, oh, thank you for that. It's a style that I would say it, I'm really trying to develop and still improve on. Um, like I said, I'm a fan of, of um, classical horror or classical films. Per se, if you notice, there's not a lot of, of flash cuts or handheld shaky camera movement. Mm-hmm. I, maybe I got that out of the way with the tunnel already. <laughs> but, right. But uh, but but for Sonod, I knew I wanted it very much to feel like like a Spanish Gothic modern horror film. So um, I was very lucky to to work with um, with Erickson Navarro, um, the production designer, and, and Michael David, of course. Uh, uh, the director of photography, and um, they were able to kind of really help me um, execute the vision I wanted. Where I, I didn't, I, I just wanted everything to feel clean. You know, I wanted everything to have just a nice sense of of calmness and cleanliness, and then slowly let the unsettling elements kind of seep into the movie slowly. Um, I, I didn't want the camera to be distracting and which is why if you notice i don't move the camera a lot in in that film um very very seldom that i that i move it so um and michael is so talented in, in giving me um shots that even if the camera's not moving it looks like a painting and it looks so beautifully lit so mm-hmm. um yeah both of them won won awards at the metro manila film festival and and very much deserved i think for for those two for ericsson and michael Fantastic. When when audiences see your work, uh, is there one thing that you hope they take away with, and what would that be? Um, the one thing that I I would wish for them to take away is that I, I really hope that they relate to the characters a lot, um, especially for Sunod and especially for the films I plan to do moving forward. Um, I've come to realize that you know I want to make movies that have strong human elements in them. Um, I I don't want to make a movie just for the sake of doing something quote-unquote scary like I, if i do another horror film it has there really has to be a strong human element behind it and there has to be such a strong you know character development and something there and i want audiences to look at the film and see a bit of themselves in at least one character and for me those are the horror films that i love and it's something also that i hope um viewers will will love in in my movies as well Fantastic. Well, Carla, this has been so wonderful. Um, uh, I wish we could like talk so much longer. Maybe we'll have a part two. Who knows? Uh, I was gonna. Thank you, thank you for your questions, man. They, they were great. And and um, oh, of course, as, yeah. As an artist yourself, um, I, I I really appreciate 
um, that you understand and you can totally relate to to the process as well because I'm sure you guys um, you know with dance and, and the theater have have very similar values and mindsets as well so I oh yeah totally it, yeah of course well uh, before I let you go I was just gonna say I have one last question what are you looking forward to the most once a sense of normalcy is back oh to be honest I miss I cannot wait to go back into a movie theater and just watch a, movie, mm. a tub of popcorn without a mask and just have a good time with my wife and my kids. That is the, the thing I absolutely miss the most, watching a, uh, watching a movie, that, watching a movie right. that's supposed to be safe. <laughs> right. That actually sounds so good right now. Right. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I am a fan. Right. Right. And, 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 and watching theater, too. I mean, right. just seeing a live performance, whether it be a concert or, or a play or a dance, just just being able to see art performed live or on a big screen, I think, is something we all miss, right? And and Correct. It'll come. I, I, I believe it. It will happen. I, I, I believe it, too. Um, it will come. I, I think that is all the time we have for today. This has been great. Thank you so much for joining me and letting us have a short glimpse of your everyday artistic life. It's been wonderful, and it's truly been great. Thank you. Um, for our listeners who are interested in asking some follow-up questions, please leave them in the comment section, and we'll try to send this to Carla and get back to you. Thank you, Carla. Good luck with everything. Thank you, I look sir. forward. I look forward to your next uh, film, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a great success. And once things are more relaxed, maybe we would we would definitely love to have you and maybe scream some of your works at the New Performing Arts Center. Maybe a Filipino audience can now see the tunnel. That would, that would be amazing. I, I would love to scream for you guys when we're, everything's finally open again. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. All right. See you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite channels. State of the Arts is a weekly podcast and it's available on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. We're also on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at State of the Arts PH. Share with your friends, family, and fellow arts aficionados and help us get the word out. For the latest news, including construction timeline and updates on Circuit Performing Arts Theater, follow our sponsor affiliate Facebook and Instagram pages, Circuit Makati and Make It Makati. Thank you for joining me today. Till next time.